Hi, kids. I'm Cobalt, but you can call me Kobe. And I'm your guide to a world of wonder. <laughs> Cobalt is a tough, silver-white metallic element. The name is from the German, Cobalt, meaning underground spirit. When mixed with aluminum or nickel to create a substance called an alloy, Cobalt strengthens that metal. It strengthens all of us. Cobalt can be used in a million ways. Cobalt is as malleable as putty and as durable as steel. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. I'm Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here today to discuss X-Men number 31, the April 1967 issue. Yes, and on the cover it says, We must destroy the Cobalt Man. Yeah, I'm not impressed. Woo! He looks like a, uh, well, he looks like an Iron Man with a metal tunic. (laughs) Angel is flying about. The Cobalt Man appears to be making some sort of uh, hypnotic, thing behind his hand. I'm not really sure what's going on back there. I would be more impressed if his blast shattered uh, Iceman's ice fortress that he's built there. Yeah, instead of just punching a hole through. Yeah. Uh, and he just he's backhanding Cyclops like it ain't no thing. Jean Grey and Beast, they just kind of look on. As does Angel, who's flying in. Well, he's at least trying to help or something. I don't know what Beast and Jean are doing. But we also get treated with a bonus of uh, a bonus tag that says, "Don't miss our gripping glimpses into the private lives of Marvel's much maligned mutants." I'm so excited. Yeah, the private lives usually is the best part of the mag. I'd have to say. I'm hoping that this is just nothing but, I don't know, origin, or maybe it's actually like Iceman when he's not at the college; he's at his apartment. Eating beans out of a can, petting his kitty cat. He doesn't have an apartment. All right. I think they live at the campus, don't they? I can only assume so since we've never seen them dwell anywhere else. But isn't that kind of weird? Didn't they graduate like 20 episodes or 20 issues ago? Yeah, now they're doing advanced classes? I don't know. <laughs> this, this must be post-grad mutant studies. Yeah. All right, well, anyways, so we open up the page, and uh, the story surely is called We Must Destroy the Cobalt Man in an electrifying font. It's a another one of those gigantic splash panels with uh, Angel flying about, dodging some rays of fire. Yep, it looks like his wings are uh, getting better after Cyclops blasted him like four or five issues ago. And that's actually what he's commenting here. But before we get too far into this tale of awesomeness, we should mention that it was edited by Stan Lee, scripted by Roy Thomas, drawn by Werner Roth, inked by, I'm going to try it, ready? John Tartaglioni. I like it. Tartaglioni. Yeah. And, uh... It was inked, no, it was lettered by Sam Rosen. And then it says Stable Elements All. So there's no Irving Forbush. So apparently enough people wrote it and said, enough of Irving Forbush. He's not funny. It's not cool. Stop it. Well, this this one is presented as a periodic table. So that's why it says Stable Elements All at the bottom. Oh, Adam, you're so smart. <laughs> I would have never figured that out. That's why I'm here, man. Although, actually, you cheated. It says it right there. Let's hear from the Marvel, the Marvel Mary, Mary Marvel's own personal periodic table. Of course, that's where I got it from. You cheat. All right, fine. <laughs> Here I thought you are all smart, like, well, gee, Jeremy, can't you recognize that? That looks like the periodic table. Well, it actually looks nothing like the periodic table. All right. It's a circle with lines drawn through it. It is not the periodic table. But each one of the... Uh, taskmasters who are creating this issue is associated with some sort of element gold silver platinum iridium and lead okay if you say so and this all relates to cobalt oh what this issue's all about of course 
Dun, dun, dun. So we flip to the next page and we learn that uh, Angel's not in all that much danger. He must be in the danger room because the other X-Men are there and Cyclops is bossing them around. Beast is jumping on a diving board in order to go sky high and catch up to Angel. I got a little confused here because uh, it looked like Angel was in a little bit of trouble and that's why Cyclops says, well, Cyclops says, Angel's in trouble, Hank. It's up to you now. Beast gets on the diving board, does a, as it says, a sproing up to the angel, but misses the angel, and then the angel ends up having to rescue Beast. Yeah, I was kind of confused, too. I gather Cyclops was predicting what would happen, which is that Angel would be caught in the smoke from all the fire, Mm. which is what happens. Although at the time, he's holding Beast, and then Cyclops has Bobby create a large pole that goes up to... The ceiling, presumably. Yeah, but it doesn't. Oh, yeah, you're right. He goes up to where Beast is. You're right. But the Beast, uh, this this is maybe where Cyclops' uh, entire master plan comes together because as the Angel and Beast fly towards whatever they don't know because it's so smoky, the Beast's feet grab upon this icy pole, which the uh, Iceman has created. I'm not sure why they needed the Beast for that. That's a good question. Well, they do say that... Uh, all you need to do is possess a pair of super-sensitive pedal extremities like mine. In other words, his feet have feelers. So was his like were his feet able to detect where the guide pole was? I just imagine that as they're flying around, the beast is just flailing his feet wildly, and he's like, oh, ice, over there, boom, grabs it. Bizarre. <laughs> yes, it's kind of a weird plan, but, you know, it burns up a page or two. Well, the professor congratulates them, especially the angel, since he is back in supposed tip-top shape. The Iceman is uh, surprised at how easily the, I don't know why he mentions this, but the fans can draw the smoke out of the room. (laughs) I guess just covering all of their bases. They don't want anybody writing in about no prizes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Here, X-Men, I noticed there was no smoke on the third page. So anyways, they got that covered. Cyclops adds his congratulations to the professors, and Angel says, that's great, but I can't wait till the day when we no longer have to face evil mutants and we can go back to normal. And Cyclops thinks to himself, he's a great guy. I don't know if it's sarcastic or if it's serious, but... I'm pretty sure it's serious. He's a great guy. I only wish we weren't undeclared rivals for the love of Marvel Girl. I feel like that's how everybody talks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's probably more fun to read the book if you if you have everybody talk like that. I think maybe that's how everybody in the 60s talked. Just They just whine the entire time? Yeah. Well, that's how all teenagers talk. Is it, was it, has it really been established, though, between Angel and Cyclops that they are, that they are rivals? You know, the Cyclops has just been picking up on stuff. Angel's made it pretty clear that he's going after Gene, and Cyclops has not made it clear at all, but Angel's picked up on the signals. Okay. So the Iceman says, uh, notices that we're all back uh, at uh, full strength, and then we get a mention of Mimic being back in college and not having any powers. There's a small chance that uh, he might reveal their secret identities, but nobody really believes that he will, so we've covered those bases. Yeah, because he turned out to be such a great guy in the end. Yes. Uh, all of those yeah. horrible things is made up by one uh, one little, well, whatever, I guess. The X-Men, that's what the X-Men do, don't isn't it? They give people chances. Yeah. Yeah, everybody gets let go. Professor notices that everybody is at tip-top shape, and uh, they've they've had so many battles lately against the Banshee and the Ogre and the Super Adaptoid, and most recently the Warlock. And the Professor once again decides to let everybody have a break. You know what? The Professor should just not do that anymore. No, because it never works out in the X-Men's favor. It absolutely does not. But the X-Men, they uh, uh, how easily the past is forgotten... They're already making their plans. Iceman wants to go out with Zelda and uh, Vera with with Beast, so another double date. I wonder how that'll end. 
Angel says uh, he makes a mention of his Mustang, and he's just going to drive and just take that open road and see where he ends up. Cyclops says he's going to stay behind and help the professor with his, I don't know, experiments. <laughs> his experiments. To which the professor says, uh, no, Scott, why don't you take these books back to Jean? She left them here. Oh, oh all right. I'd be glad to. This is when Angel makes a, a hasty exit. And Cyclops realizes, oh, he must know the angel's interested. He must just be giving me a little bit of a nudge. To which the professor says, yes, I am giving him a little bit of a nudge. But I like this last uh, thought balloon. He says, uh, the professor says, more importantly, I wanted everyone gone so I could pursue some experiments in private. I wonder what kind of experiments those are. For every man, <laughs> there are some things that he must do alone. <laughs> I, I think the professor's going to call some boys over and uh, get some jello in the pool and uh, see what happens. Or Either that or he's going to break into the private stash in the basement. <laughs> Which he keeps behind the scary door. Basically, that scary door behind it is just like tons of weed and porn. <laughs> He's just going to get high and look at porn all weekend. I think the professor's got a date with some Vaseline. <laughs> He's just like, oh, man, I've been waiting for this for weeks. Get out of here, guys. So to that, uh, Cyclops walks out or outside with the book in hand, only to which he finds Angel and the Mustang saying, you know, actually, I was going to go over to Metro College and find Gene. Dopey-do. He offers Scott a ride, and they decide that, uh, well, Warren says, I vote we bake the beauteous Miss Gray choose between us today. So finally. That's serious business. Yeah, so not only has the rivalry been secretly acknowledged, it's now been vocally acknowledged, and it's it's him or me, baby. It's going to happen this issue. Finally. 31 issues. <laughs> uh, Beast is putting on his socks Whining about being a mutant Combing his hair <laughs> This is the private lives of the X-Men folks And then he whines to himself About his large vocabulary Hiding the fact that He wishes he could have been born A mere homo sapiens Yeah I kind of forgot about this And then he keeps going on about Oh perhaps There is no Hank McCoy anymore It's just Supplanted by the omnipresent Beast. Apparently Beast only uses big words and Hank McCoy only uses normal words. He wouldn't like him when he is practicing vocabulary. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but I don't I don't know what he's getting at here, but it almost seems like I make jokes to hide the fact that I'm depressed inside. Yeah, yeah. That's I think it exactly. You hit the nail on the head. Thank you. All right. We cut to Metro College, where Gene and Ted Roberts are hanging out on the steps of some building. Some college building, maybe a dorm. And then Ted's brother, Ralph, shows up in his uh, Roto-Rooter car. <laughs> whatever that says on the side. R robot rental. Sure. <laughs> it's got a, it's an R-O something and an R-E something. I'm going with Robot Rental. Robot Rentals. Ralph's Robot Rentals. <laughs> He's going to deliver one off the professor. Yeah. Uh, sir, you, uh, your sex bot's here. Can I borrow the uh, super adaptoid? <laughs> Just take that around back, son. <laughs> uh, so uh, he says, this is my sibling now. You'll get to meet him. And, and Gene's like, oh, oh, maybe I'll learn why Ted feels such a rivalry with him. To which Ralph says, greetings, tiger. <laughs> like, uh, come on, man. I'm in college. Don't call me tiger. Like moms call people tigers and girlfriends call their boyfriends tigers. Brothers don't call each other tiger. These guys seem pretty square. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. They just look like Ken dolls. Both of them. Ralph looks pretty, pretty, uh, yes, Ken-ish. Uh, Ted... Ted, not so much. I mean, he could maybe, if he must up his hair a little bit, he could maybe be a cool guy, cool cat, I suppose, since it's the 60s. But He could still be a Barbie doll, but not Ken. Definitely, Ralph looks like Ward Cleaver. If he, if he would have had a pipe and like a, like a hat coming in, 
June, you want to talk about the Beaver? Oh, Ralph. <laughs> they head off to the stadium, uh, which I guess they're remodeling it, so they want to show it to Ralph. And Ralph's like, oh, the stadium, that used to be my second home, gal. Why do they ask Gene and Ted if it's okay if he takes a look? Mind if I take a look at your this is odd dialogue? Yeah, they're basically doing whatever he wants to do, which is nice. Yeah. They're being yeah. friendly. Good hosts. They get into a little sibling rivalry about how I bet you're not as good as I am now because I'm younger and you're old. And so they end up changing costumes into some shorts and T-shirts yeah. or I guess long T-shirts. It's been a while since I've been, well, I've never done anything really sports related, but it's been a while since I've been in any, you know, age where, where it would be appropriate to have like some sort of sports competition to prove who's better. So instead of choosing like football passes or who can run a 500 meter dash, they choose pole vaulting. It's there, you know. (laughs) Hey, you still any good at pole vaulting? Why, sure, son. I can take you any day of the week. Ralph holds the pole vaulting record. Oh, that's right. Well, I thought he held, like, all the records or something. Yeah, he also holds the touchdown passes record. And the 500-meter dash records. So he says, uh, now this this is an important key that never really becomes clear, but he says, a Ted says, Here's your pole, brother. Still remember how to hold it? Just watch me, and and while you're at it, take some notes. So Ted gives Ralph Ralph's old pole to pole vault with. All right, now that that's established. Next page. Oh, okay. I didn't really notice that. Well, but see, you'll see, it'll become less and less clear as we go on. But he does, in fact, say, here's your old pole, right? So as we continue on the next page, Ralph goes to do his jump. He's almost over. He says, oh, this is a little one for you. We'll start out easy. But then the pole snaps. Ralph says, don't worry. I'll land on my feet like a cat. But uh, instead, Ralph twists his body at an odd angle and hits an upright on his head. And this is when Ted says, I knew he shouldn't have used one of those old discarded poles. If anything's (laughs) happened, see, see what I'm saying here? Oh, that's interesting. He handed him the pole, and then he turned around and said, I knew he shouldn't have used that pole that I handed him that was his old pole. What's he thinking? (laughs) A little odd there, but okay. One might almost think that maybe Ted sabotaged the pole. We don't find that out, but, you know, I don't know. Ted's rivalry is just too much for the two of them. it's, It's causing this havoc, and he realizes it. He's very sad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's, you know, oh, boy, if anything's happened to him, I'm going to beat up the guy who gave you that pole. Oh, wait a minute. Ah, oh, son of a... But he never says, like, this is all my fault. That's how you know he's not a good guy, right? Because Spider-Man, it was all his fault. And then he turned into a tortured superhero. I guess he's my only example. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways. So they head off to the Never Say Diner. Yeah, Ralph kind of, he comes back to it. He's got a bump on his head and... Well, I'm boy. Nothing, nothing cures a headache like some food, right, brother? Sure, buddy. I think that the name of the diner is cute. Never say diner. Yes. In fact, if I ever open up a restaurant, I want to call it Never Say Diner. Okay. <laughs> All right, yeah. folks, right in. Let me know if that's a good idea. <laughs> Let us know if you'd eat there. Would you eat at Never Say Diner? You know, I would. So they start talking about Ralph's experiments with cobalt. And uh, Cyclops and Warren show up because they're looking for Jean Grey. And... <laughs> they've, been, they've been to her dorm. They were <laughs> at the university center. They were, they've been every literally every place they could possibly think of. Like Angel remembered one time Jean ate at this place called Never Say Diner. And they're like, let's try that place. All right. So they show up and they, oh, hey, gorgeous. I knew those flaming locks couldn't be anybody but yours. Cyclops realizes that this is going to be a quintuple date. A sausage fest, if you will. Yes. So they'll start talking about the labs and the cobalt and all this sort of uh, genius brother nonsense. And uh, Ralph and Ted decide, hey, uh, let's, let's go check out your lab. It's not too far from here. 
And Cyclops agrees to go along, as does Jean, but Warren Warren heads off on his own. And he thinks to himself, there's other fair-haired fish in the sea. And old Warrior's going to find him. He's given up. He's done. Jean Grey is going to end up with one of these other three dudes. I'm, I'm going elsewhere. Or all of them. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't want any piece of this. I know one of those guys has got to have a disease. <laughs> uh, yeah, but isn't this the second time that Angel has sworn off of Jean? Yeah, it is. All right, we'll see if this one, if, we'll see if this time it sticks. Did he find somebody last time, or did he just say he was going to? I thought he went out on a date, but I don't remember, honestly. And I'm sure it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. So we cut back to the coffee-a-go-go in Greenwich Village. Um, and Bernard, the poet from issue four or three or whatever that was, is reading yet another poem. Like life is a yo-yo and mankind keeps tying knots in the string. Go up, go down, then call it progress, for happiness is a one puppet. <laughs> That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. I, I, you had me up until for happiness is a warm puppet. Happiness is a warm puppet. I don't know. What what year is it, 1967? Yeah. Have the Beatles written happiness is a warm gun yet? Uh, by 67, I think. I think white, the White Album came out in 68, actually. Oh, get out of here. This guy's way ahead of his time then. <laughs> well, it was probably like happiness is a warm something is like a clever colloquial saying of the time. I don't know. Someone should let us know that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're over the age of 70 and we're there at the time, let us know. I think it's Vera here. She says, isn't he Marvy, Hank? He's our answer to Bob Dylan. What? Yeah, I don't know. Why does Bob Dylan need an answer? <laughs> I, I mean, well, I guess I'm no musical historian, but wasn't Bob Dylan introduced like around this time, 65, 66, by Johnny Cash? No, he was playing in what I thought was The Village oh. in 1961 or 62. Okay, okay. So at this point, they're, they've already written him off like, uh, Bob Dylan, that, that guy's old. He's I never going to last. His time is up. But I think Bob Dylan is from the same, like he, he grew up in the same area or he came up in the same area. So I don't know why he would be the answer to. No, I think what Vera is saying is like, he's our generation's Bob Dylan, even though it doesn't really. That would have been better dialogue. Well, <laughs> you know, well, whatever. I think Bob Dylan is still their generation's Bob Dylan. I'm sorry, but... I would agree, but, you know, they're impetuous teenagers, you know. They're they're looking at Bob Dylan the way we look at, like, you know, I don't know, Britney Spears, where, like, she gets, like, two or three years, and then she's done, and then she's in the tabloids. I'm thinking they're looking at Bob Dylan like, eh, he's, he had a good run, a couple good songs, but move over. Here comes Marvy. Bernard. Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> he's Marvy, though. Yeah, he is. He's pretty Marvy. Beast is equally... Uh, confused he says personally vera i'm not even i'm not even a bit certain of the question i think that's his way of saying i don't know what you just said <laughs> i saw your lips move i heard sounds come out of them but i don't know what it meant yeah i gather that bobby and hank both think that this poet sucks they too are square zelda says what a groovy poem and it's free verse Bobby says it had to be. Nobody'd be nutty enough to pay him for it. <laughs> Bernard finishes his poem and comes over to their table, starts hitting on Zelda. But then Bobby realizes that he's actually not hitting on Zelda. He's just trying to get a free cup of espresso <laughs> off their table. The one that's sitting in front of Zelda. So he freezes the coffee in it, and Bernard picks up the coffee. And Wait, is there a difference between coffee and espresso? Espresso is like a shot of coffee. It's a really strong... I have just an anecdote. One, one time, I like, I like a cup of coffee, and a cup of coffee is brewed, blah, blah, blah. You know how that whole thing works, obviously. And uh, I was actually in New York for something else, and I went to a coffee store, and I was like, I want to be fancy, so I'll get an espresso. 
And an espresso is basically a shot's worth of coffee, but it's got the same amount of caffeine and stuff as a full cup of coffee. And it's just really thick and concentrated. And I don't personally like it, but if you need a quick rush of caffeine, it's a good way to go, I guess. So that's an espresso. All right. And then sometimes you mix your espressos. What you can do is you can make an Americano by taking a big glass of hot water and then taking a shot of espresso and dumping it into that hot water, and it makes a more stronger but more like a cup of coffee, but it's stronger. Hmm. There you go, folks. You learned something today. I learned something, definitely. So uh, he freezes the cup of espresso. Martin <laughs> Bernard. Bernard. Whatever his <laughs> name is. He uh, he doesn't really make two notes about it one way or the other that he now has a frozen cup of coffee and he just kind of leaves. Apparently Bobby was right. He was trying to steal their espresso. So he's going to go steal espresso from somebody else's table. Is it just me or does uh, Bernard look like he's about 50 years old? Yeah. Okay. All right. Problem with this is that Bobby ruined Zelda's espresso. <laughs> yeah. Bobby now has to buy Zelda a new espresso, I would say. <laughs> We're still following the lives of the X-Men, everybody. Uh, just like the cover promised. Uh, we find, we catch up with the angel who walks into a raucous disco club. I like this description. It's a... Uh... A somewhat startled Warren Worthington III finds that he has accidentally wandered into an electrified east side world of post-twist teens and Watusiing teeny boppers. Yeah, so it's not disco because that's 70s. Yeah. I don't know, uh, but it's definitely funky in there, I gotta say. Oh yeah, remember when Batman did the Batusi? Oh yeah, that's basically what's going on here. Yeah, that was pretty rocking. You know, apparently the angel can't read or decided not to look at the sign in front of the building because he says, Hey, (laughs) this isn't Pizza Paradise. (laughs) Apparently it's the monkey's paw and all of the monkeys, uh, all that the monkey's paw plays are monkey's tunes. No, I don't think so. Yeah? Because there's another tune that they play later and it's not a monkey's tune. Oh, really? Okay, well, the first song they play is, uh, what song is this? When I saw her face, yeah, I'm a believer. Well, they know the song. Do you know what the title of the song is? Yeah, I think it's I'm a believer. I think, yeah, I think like uh, Dylan's time has passed and the Beatles' time has passed, and now they're celebrating Bernard and the monkeys. Well, no, even even the monkeys are old. I mean, this guy, this guy that's dancing says, that's a groovy sound, even if it has been out for several months. Oh, with his checkerboard pants. This whole book is square. <laughs> oh, and the girl's like, you can't beat the oldies, but goodies, dad. Yeah. That man is far too young to be her dad. <laughs> Roy <laughs> Thomas is way cooler than Stan Lee. That's all I got to say. He's hip to the kids. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much time he spent in some of these underground kid clubs to get this dialogue just right. Anyway, somebody sneaks up behind Warren and uh, puts hands over his eyes and he's all like, guess who? And then um, he's like, apocalypse! And he elbows her. (laughs) But no, that's not what happens. I don't want to be deaf. (laughs) No, Warren turns around and it's Candy Southern. (gasps) The light of his misspent youth. Hmm. What is she doing in the big bad city? Well, she'll tell him if he treats him treats her to a diet Pepsi. Oh, all right. It's the best offer he's had all day. They sit down at a table. She's got a job at the UN building. I'm sure some sort of drama will come out of that. Hopefully. And uh, they, they start chatting. Mm-hmm. Things are looking good for Warren. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty lady. He's a handsome boy. Yeah. Well. Uh yeah, so good times. They're they're having good times. So we move back to uh the quadruple cade of mutants, not mutants, of uh teenagers, Gene, Cyclops, Ted and Ralph, and they're at uh Ralph's lab looking at all sorts of metal gadgets and gizmos. Cyclops finds a projector and turns it on and it's all sorts of psychedelic patterns. Marvel Girl and Cyclops immediately become hypnotized. Ted and Ralph sneak off to go make out. Oh, wait, they don't go to make out, but 
Ralph does say, hey, come on, Ted, I want to show you something. Let's leave these squares where they are, watching this crazy video I made. They're the slides of the Earth's interior. These color shots are fantastic, eh, Gene? They certainly are. (laughs) And she says, we've been below the Earth. She thinks this. But never have we seen anything like this. So Ted and Ralph, they sneak off. They don't sneak off. They say, hey, we'll be right back. And then they start whispering. What's the big secret? Have I got bad breath? I'm going to kill that tall, skinny one. (laughs) (laughs) Then I'm going to skin the girl. Ralph, come on. That's not cool. I'm kind of trying to date the redhead. Oh, sorry. No, they don't do that at all. Ralph wants to show Ted a super secret top priority project. Opens up a little locker area. And inside of it is some armor. It's only been tested once. Ted comments that it looks like a silver blue version of Iron Man's armor. It's a suit made out of one of their new cobalt alloys. Ralph reveals that the main reason he quit Stark Industries, which we did, we kind of overlooked, he used to work at Stark Industries, is because Tony Stark refused to divulge the secret of Iron Man's costume. Right, because Tony Stark feared that it was too powerful and would corrupt a mere man's soul. Ralph figured, well, I'll make my own Iron Man costume out of cobalt because I think it's superior, and then I'll sell it to the government. Yeah. Because, no, I don't care. That's a good plan. He simply does not believe Tony Stark. So he turns on the seat and blasts a hole in the ceiling. Yeah. And then that's where he reveals one of the limitations of the, the, uh, the, the armor. If it's worn over two hours, the armor starts producing the deadly radioactive cobalt-60, and I'd soon turn into a walking sea bomb So basically, he would be covered in radiation and die. I just, for me, it's not worth it, even to show off to my little brother. I I wouldn't want to wear it for two minutes, much less two hours. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. But anyways, so he blasts a hole, like you said, in the ceiling, and he flies out and says, Hey, Ted says those look like repulsor rays. Ralph says, they're stronger. Then he says, my transistors operating by Stark's own principles, increasing my physical strength a hundred times. Ralph Roberts could never make a mighty leap like this, but it's duck soup for the cobalt man. Duck soup. (laughs) Yeah. Easy peasy. Duck soup. (laughs) So Ralph Roberts comes flying back through the hole. He blew through the wall and smashes into the ground and... Ted's like, all right, well, that's pretty cool, but you kind of wrecked that ceiling. This is where the Cobalt Man starts getting a little bit confused. He's like, the ceiling, I feel strange. Head's starting to ache terribly. Ted surmises it must be the after effects of his fall, which, you know, he hit his head, so somehow it's turning him into an evil jerk. Sure, why not? (laughs) Ted says... Maybe you better leave the superhero stunts for Iron Man for a while. To which Cobalt Man says, Iron Man? Don't mention that costume trader in my presence. I should seek him out and show him he's no match for me. Uh, He's not the boss of me. I'm going to pound him one. Ted tries to point out the C-bomb flaw. Ralph slaps him upside the head. Whack. Shut up, you. The name Iron Man keeps coursing through my brain as if it were on fire. Must find that traitor and destroy him for the good of mankind. So he's gone crazy, basically. But first, there's something I must do in that lab. And he blows the lab apart because he doesn't want anybody to be able to recreate the suit of cobalt. Totally crazy. Yeah, cuckoo. Until Cobalt Man is ready to reveal the secrets. Now... Now he's in control. Poor guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gene and Scott hear the explosion of the machines and they run to go check it out. <laughs> and Cyclops says, this would happen just when I'm finally alone with Gene. He's, how long have they been gone? Like five minutes at least. <laughs> he's, look, you remember what it's like to be uh, with a, a teenager with a girl and be like, okay, I have 45 seconds to make a move. <laughs> Here goes. Cyclops just a little bit slower. Yeah. So five minutes, is that's like an eternity. 
darn it, Scott was all set to ask me for a date. I know he was. Yeah, see, and she's ready she's for some it. Intuition there. Uh huh. Perhaps some latent tele- telep- telepathy. They come across Cobalt Man destroying the lab, and Scott tries to get Jean to disappear. Uh, so he'll take care of it. And she's like, shut up. Not on your life, Scott Summers. My costume's in my suitcase. Where's her suitcase? She didn't bring a suitcase to the lab, did she? Well, where does Scott keep his costume? Does I, he keep it in his suitcase? I think he's like Superman. He just yanks off his suit, and all of a sudden he's, I'm a Cyclops. Where does he keep his mask and his gloves? The coolest thing about this... And his boots. <laughs> ...is that the only conclusion one can draw is that they changed in front of each other. Yeah, because it's not like there's a men and women's room for them to go and change in. It's not. Oh, I bet there is. I mean, there's different corridors. He's like, you change in that corridor, I'll change in this corridor. Scott's a nice guy. He he would make sure. Yeah, but at this point, Gene's like, no time, Scott. Take it off now. <laughs> what? Uh, okay. Uh, aren't you going to hide your shame? Shut up, Cyclops. She wants it bad. Is all I'm trying to say. They notice that Ralph and Ted are no longer in the room. They've changed into their costumes. And uh, the cobalt man notices them and immediately tries to blast them. Attack! <laughs> well, he does say, you two look familiar. I should know you. Yes. To which Marvel Girl smartly responds, yeah, a lot of people know Cyclops and Marvel Girl. Dun, dun, dun. They're like the Batman and Robin of Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, that must be it. You must be like Iron Man. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> You're wearing masks. Therefore, you must be like Iron Man. Not like me, who's wearing a cobalt costume looking like Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. Well, he hasn't looked at himself in a mirror yet. Oh, he's crazy. <laughs> he blows up the little catwalk thing that Cyclops and uh, Marvel Girl are on. Yeah, but uh, Cyclops grabs onto a chain, tries to boss Marvel Girl around, but She's like, hey, shut up. I can levitate. Yeah, almost calls her Jean. Right. Ugh. Cyclops, get your act together. I know. You're supposed to be deputy leader. Jean comments about how the Cobalt Man's armor is form-fitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's sexy in that thing. <laughs> yeah. That little skirt. He's got some package. I mean, it's form-fitting, Cyclops. Cyclops sneaks up behind the Cobalt Man, swings on the chain. So he must have been swinging back and forth until he gets like <laughs> the right momentum. Then he swings behind uh, Cobalt Man, hitting him upside the head. Then he tries to blast him. Cobalt Man jumps out of the way. Cyclops continues to try to blast him, but then the Cobalt Man gets the drop on them by blasting some large uh, metal cab, they call it. Big metal thingy. And it lands on Jean Grey and Cyclops. That's when the Cobalt Man says, well, all right, well, they're dead. So now i got to go find Iron Man and Tony Stark and kill them. He also says that he's going to Stark Industries, which is important. Okay, on the next page, I know that there's a little bit of danger here, and they've just been through a little bit of ordeal. But Cyclops and Marvel Girl are stuck underneath this thing that fell on top of them, and they're... They're in close quarters to one another. Mm-hmm. Well, this should be like the opportune time, wouldn't it? To be like, Gene, we may not live through this. And if we don't, I I want you to know that I love you. Yeah, you would think so. Um, I mean, they do what's right first. They they use their conveniently added to the plot signal devices on their wristwatches. Something that's brand new as of this issue. <laughs> it's an electronic mento call. She says... Uh, we can't call the professor telepathically unless he opens his mind to us. So this new electronic mento call is designed to have him do just that. So he gets the frequency and opens up his mind. Professor's working back at his lab. He's got some rats. He's got that mysterious door that he was working on. He says, uh, the X-Men are in immediate, or they're in serious trouble, but not in immediate personal danger. So I'm not going to do anything except for call the other X-Men. He kind of doesn't care. Yeah, Beast and Vera, they're they're boogieing down, or so it would look. A couple of the youngsters say, hey, dig that college type, laying him down. He's ahead of his time. Vera states that he's a natural at doing the monkey, which is apparently a dance. Yeah, the monkey. Is that intended as a compliment or an insult? 
They get a mental summon from the professor, and once again, Hank and Bobby leave their dates. I don't know. Why why are they dating these guys? They haven't had a single date where they haven't left them. I don't know. (laughs) It makes no sense uh, either. Uh, Vera and uh, Zelda are pretty attractive young ladies. Uh, They only get to see these two guys maybe once every other month and every time they get together. Well, I don't know. The X-Men go on vacation a lot. (laughs) Seems like every other issue. The professor's like, you guys have done well. You deserve a vacation. So anyways, uh, they dart out of the dance hall and the girls are like, ah, we've been stood up before a date and now we're being stood up after during a date. Can you imagine? The girls are finally noticing that they've been leaving during all their dates. It's about time. Yeah, they they just noticed this. <laughs> uh, and so we get a little bit of humor here. They uh, This is actually kind of a neat panel, this cab panel with the black and yellow kind of silhouette and there's a little light there in the cab there with a sparkling light uh but the beast makes a, a little bit of a joke there and says uh well well it's time to hail a cab and we'll see where a dollar 35 gets us again the professor doesn't give them any money yeah or a car what happened to issue two when beast had enough money to buy a train ticket oh yeah i don't know Maybe that was like a dollar thirty-five. Maybe that's their stipend. Everyone gets seventy-five cents. <laughs> now the professor's a rich old coot living with these kids. Don't you think you would give them a car? Uh, no, no. I mean, we already know he's got several vehicles. They could each take a vehicle. He's got helicopters and airplanes and a couple of cars, a Rolls Royce. He's like, yeah, yeah take a vacation. Uh, you know where to call a cab, <laughs> professor. Get out of here. I need to do some private experiments. So we cut back to... What was the name of that club? The Monkey Madness. The Monkey's Paw. Monkey's Paw. Where this time they're playing a Bob Dylan song. They are to be without a home. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I guess I missed that. It's not as an, uh, as clear a text as the Monkey's lyrics are, but yes, it is definitely a Dylan song. Yep. The second second Dylan song mentioned, third monkey mention. There's they're just repeating themselves. Tons of pop culture references from the sixties here. This is a hot issue. Yes, yes. And uh, so he's uh, Angel says, Hey, do you remember how to dance? And she's like, Yeah, I remember how to dance. Let's dance. And then he's like, Oh, gotta go. Sorry. <laughs> Just remembered, I gotta run some errands for my bald, crazy professor that I live with during the week. But I'll call you tomorrow. He's smooth like that. At least he says, you know what? Hey, I'll call you tomorrow. He. That's. This is why Warren is the good-looking, rich, well-mannered guy of the bunch. Yeah. He. Yes. So he jumps into his uh, Mustang and speeds off towards Long Island Sound. Presumably. That's where Stark Industries is. So Scott and Gene must have told the professor where the Cobalt Man was headed. So they're still trapped under this building or this apartment or whatever we called it before. Let's say they've been there for, I don't know, 10 minutes. Like you said, good chance to talk about their feelings. Yeah, you know, they might not make it through this, and they could get some, some of that stuff out of the way and feel a little bit better about themselves and... You know, maybe maybe even sneak a little kiss, and that's when Cyclops could potentially notice, hey, I have an escape plan. Well, he does notice the escape plan, but they don't do any of that romantic stuff. I think they were just literally laying there for 10 minutes going, um, you think the professor called Angel? <laughs> I hope he got a hold of Beast. What do you think of Iceman? Iceman's kind of a neat kid, isn't he? He's going to turn out swell. I swear, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to have a bowl of ice cream. Doesn't that sound good? Scott, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Ted Roberts seems like a nice guy. Yeah, Ted Roberts is seeming dreamier and dreamier by the minute. (laughs) So Cyclops' master plan is there's apparently a lever that would drop a hook, the same hook that they were swinging on earlier. This is where Marvin Girl does start thinking about, is it, is it, just that I'm more worried about Ted than I am about stopping the Cobalt Man? She's thinking some hot and heavy thoughts about Ted. 
She's a girl. She's confused. She doesn't know what she wants now. But she telekinetically hits the lever, which brings the chain over to the cab that they're trapped under, to which Cyclops says, Good girl. Good girl. Riff, she says. Cobalt Man sure sounded like Ralph Roberts. They agree. <laughs> huh, weird. So, yeah, basically they use the hook to lift the thing off of them with a little bit of telekinesis and a little bit of muscle. They run out to uh, the outside to try to figure out what they're going to do next when they run across uh, Ralph's van. And that's when Ted comes running out, and he's all bandaged up for some reason. And he's talking to himself, apparently, saying, Ralph, i got to stop him. Can't let him run wild in that cobalt armor. <laughs> he's got a case of the Shatners. <laughs> exactly. So then Cyclops has a master plan of grabbing Gene and jumping into the back of the van, where Ted won't see them. They don't have a car. <laughs> right, Exactly. This wouldn't happen if the professor would just let us use the rolls. <laughs> With luck, Ted will take us straight to his brother. Or maybe he'll go to the hospital. Because <laughs> yeah. he's got a bandage on his head. Nope, Ted says, all right, well, I better head out for Stark Industries and pray that I can stop him. This guy that just almost destroyed the entire lab and almost killed me. I might be able to stop him. Well, it's his brother. I mean, come on. Yeah, he could use the power of love. <laughs> Huey Lewis will come out, start singing. Oh, wait. Beast and uh, Iceman, they get dropped off in the middle of nowhere because apparently $1.35 only takes you out to the country. They start to hitchhike, and their first ride is Warren. But it turns out that this is no coincidence that the professor found out where they were and told Warren to go there. So they uh, get into the Mustang, and they head off to Stark Industries. We say, hey, geez, I wonder why Iron Man's not here. Isn't he supposed to protect this property? And the very next panel is a picture of Iron Man, but really it's just a note that Iron Man's on a date, so he won't be in this issue. If you can't read, you're like, Iron Man's here! And then it doesn't <laughs> appear for the whole rest of the issue. Does this count as an Iron Man cameo since he was drawn in the X-Men comic, even though in the continuity of the comic he's not actually there? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, anyways, it's just a picture of Iron Man, but he's not here. He's not, nope, he's not here. It's just a reminder that he's not here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Angel, he takes off his, uh, his his clothes, his plane clothes, and he's in his X-Men outfit, and he flies up in the sky. And that's when Cobalt notices, hey, it's more X-Men. I better get them. He flies up after Angel, who overhears him talking to himself, which the Cobalt Man seems to do a lot. Crazy. Angel is able to dodge out of the way. Cobalt Man blasts at him. Iceman and Beast are on the way. Beast uses the power of deductive logic to determine where, based on the, the trajectory of Cobalt Man, where he's going to land next. But he is unable to capture him because he's too late by the merest microsecond. He carried a decimal point where he should have not. He miscalculated anyway. So, uh... And it's pretty unclear what happens in the next few panels, but... I gathered that Cobalt Man blasts at Beast. Beast says, too late by a merest microsecond. Cobalt Man says, but that second is enough, fool, for me to do this. Katak. What's unclear is what this is. Right, and yes, Beast says, oof, my near miss turned into a near catastrophe. Yeah, something exploded, it looks like. So what I think happened is that Cobalt Man turns around and shoots at him. This is an enigmatic panel because something either exploded underneath Beast and he's actually horizontal in the air, or this is a top-down shot and he's being propelled up towards us. <laughs> There's many, many possibilities as to where the ground is in relation to the Beast here. Okay, so here's what happened. Okay. Cobalt Man turns around, shoots at the Beast, should have hit him, but missed because Angel grabbed his arm and moved his shot. Sure, because Beast says, yep, my lucky star prevented me from being pulverized. Angel says, no, nope, that was me. I'm your lucky star. Kind of a guardian angel. And that's when Cobalt Man says, you deflected my aim and then swooped out of reach. Instead of having all of that dialogue in this panel, we could have just probably shown that. Well, apparently they couldn't because this Katak panel, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Cobalt Man, right after this, oh, he says... I must reach a vantage point from which I'm immune to all of your attacks. So he goes and flies on top of a bridge, which the X-Men then realize, oh, 
he can see us from everywhere up there. There's no sneaking up on a guy on top of a bridge. No, no. They should just leave. <laughs> I think Napoleon proved that when he took over Versailles. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Beast notices that a vehicle is approaching at top velocity. And it's Ted Roberts, Angel recognizes. And he explains everything to the X-Men uh, first, though. He said he sees the three X-Men and says, but I thought there were five X-Men. And then Gene and Scott get out of the back of the van and say, there are, pal. We were here all along. Yeah, nothing to see here. Move along. Iceman says, psych, Marvel Girl, how? Never mind that, Iceman. <laughs> uh, yes, we're here, all five X-Men. Yes, the girl that I'm standing next to has uh, the same red hair and same voice as the person that you are mildly in love with. It's not her. It's Marvel Girl. <laughs> no, sir. Nothing to see here. Cobalt Man. Let's focus on the Cobalt Man. Must be your head injury. Why don't you lay down in the van? Let's. We're going to go get Cobalt Man. Apparently he does lay down in the van because he disappears from yeah. the rest of the battle. Well, Ted kind of explains the whole plot. Like, oh, he'll turn into a C-bomb and two hours will pass and limitations and this, that, and the other thing. So we got to stop him. So Angel flies up to the bridge and gets the uh, the Cobalt Man to shoot at him, which the Cobalt Man thinks is a distraction because suddenly Beast is driving the van at the bridge Beast jumps out at the last second and the car crashes into the bridge. But it turns out that was also a distraction for Iceman and Cyclops under the bridge sneaking up on Cobalt Man. Ted, meanwhile, is like, no, not the love wagon. <laughs> Iceman says, I hope your ideal idea of a double diversion worked. The van's smashed and Hank and Aunt, or, uh, Marvel Girl come running. I guess Hank was driving the van, but he jumped out. Marvel Girl meets up and says, Oh, I'm thank heaven you're all right. Cobalt Man thinks that they're making a suicide attack. Uh, but I guess this is another distraction because that's when Iceman shoots a bunch of ice at Cobalt Man's chest, which contains his power pack, I guess much like Iron Man's power pack in his chest. And that's when a Cyclops shoots the ice that's near the power pack. We get a fzzzt sound and some sparks. And Cobalt Man falls down to the water, but at the last minute, Angel catches him and brings him to shore. Cyclops explains that it was all part of his plan. The same I-beams that melted the ice also forced it into any slightest opening in his chest plate. I gambled that water would short-circuit his power source, and luckily it did. That's a good plan. Yeah, I guess so. It's a pretty crappy suit, though, if you think about it. <laughs> not resistant to water. <laughs> I'm going to become a walking sea bomb after two hours, but a little bit of water. He's like the Wicked Witch of the West. Okay, so he's not going to be a bomb anymore. Great. But isn't the radiation still going to hit him? I don't know. I think maybe the suit has to be on in order for the radiation to become a factor. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, look, I don't need... I, I, honestly... That's way more thought in this issue than I even began to put into it. So if you think that radiation occurs, then I agree. Radiation occurs. I don't know. I just think that they should get him out of the suit as soon as possible, but they don't. Nope, they leave him in there. But they do get him get his helmet off because they notice that he's having difficulty breathing. Oh, man, really? You think you say I almost destroyed you because I had a bump on my head? Oh, sure, sure. Maybe Tony was right. This... Iron Man is too powerful, too dangerous for most men. His brother Ted agrees and says there's a lot of things you can work on. We better get back to see about Scott and Gene, the two guests we left behind at the lab. And then he says, still, on second thought, I doubt if they've been exactly bored out of their minds, eh? Hey, to which I hey. first thought he meant it was like a wink-wink, nudge-nudge. They're probably getting it on back at the lab. Oh, yeah, they get a little bit of private time. But then Scott and Gene both react to it as though they have seen through their quote-unquote disguises. Yeah. Yeah, come on. As you pointed out, they're fairly <laughs> obvious. Hey, you, guy who sounds like the guy I just met today, who isn't the guy I met today. Are you the leader? Yeah, yes. Maybe they all talk like Batman, though. Marvel Girl's like, yes, I'm Marvel Girl. <laughs> Cyclops is like, yes. I like to wear a bow tie in my spare time. <laughs> they they all talk like that. 
<laughs> really, really, Cyclops. I, I find that fascinating. Iceman's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's really interesting. I wonder what Zelda's doing. Well, Iceman's really young, so he's got to, like... Oh. Yeah, guys, <laughs> that sounds really, really exciting. So the X-Men, Gene, and Scott are lamenting the fact that he obviously knows their secret identity. Oh, dear. Yeah, so they're going to have to kill him next issue. <laughs> ah, actually, it says next-ish. The X-Men face the most terrifying of threats, or, as Lewis Carroll might have put it, beware the juggernaut, my son. Enough said. Dun, dun, dun. And we have a shadow of presumably the juggernaut over the mysterious door in the professor's lab. Hey, man, what happened to the juggernaut? Uh, they got his helmet off, and they mind-blasted him. Oh, they didn't, like, say, oh, now you're going to prison, Kane. Nope. They just mind-blasted him. He's just, like, sitting there like, oh, you mind-blasted me. I wonder if the Juggernaut's a member of Factor 3. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I sure hope so. It would make this uh, whole Factor 3 thing much more intriguing. So far, Factor 3 is all just talk. Banshee and and Ogre were part of Factor 3. or That's true. Pawns of Factor 3 or something like that. Well, folks, if you're as equally confused about the um, storylines as we are or just want to write in some comments, uh, drop us a line at uh, DangerRoom at RedCatProductions.com or visit us at www.RedCatProductions.com forward slash DangerRoom. And uh, you can get all of the episodes there. You can leave a comment on each individual episode if you would like. And if you go to the main page, if you just go to www.redcapproductions.com, right there on the main page, you can see all of the images that we've culled from 30 so or so issues of the X-Men. And there's some buttes in there, if I do say so myself. Also, catch us on Facebook. What is it? Facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Indeed. And uh, at Danger Room Go. On the Twitter. On the Twitters, which... Which one day we will Twitter more than just episode announcements. Yeah, we're, we're working on that. We just don't know what the kids want us to say. I typed in LOL, but I was like, no, nah, I don't think the kids want to hear this. So I deleted it out. <laughs> uh, also, you can check the iTunes and leave us some ratings or ratings and reviews as we have another new one. Yeah, this one's from Croana. C-R-O-A-N-O. Yeah, normally we don't read the iTunes uh, reviews, or we don't read all of them for sure. But this one just says awesome. Yeah, he says awesome, <laughs> which, you know, we'll take. That, that's, a, that's a solid review in my book. You can't beat that. Brevity. So thank you, Croano, and thank you to all of our listeners for letting us know you're out there and, and just listening. We're glad. We have fans. It's great. Absolutely. We like it. Uh, this issue, I felt, was uh, a little bit too much on the... Well, I guess from a, a reading perspective, I guess I found some of the personal things uh, interesting. From a retelling perspective, I thought it was a little boring. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Your thoughts, Adam? I like these uh, one-offs that we've been having lately. Um, I, th I think they've all been about equal equal level of goodness. And I suppose the other thing here is that this didn't really do much to forward any stories, really. Yeah, I don't mind that. Oh, okay. And clearly we're going to find out something about the door next issue. Thank God. That door's been keeping me up at nights. I know. All right, well, folks, uh, speaking of doors and whether they open or close, that's a terrible transition. All right, folks. <laughs> uh, until next week, the danger room is closed. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. There's yttrium, ytterbium, actinium, rubidium, and boron, gadolinium, niobium, iridium, and strontium, and silicon, and silver, and samarium, and bismuth, bromine, lithium, beryllium, and barium. 
There's holmium and helium and hafnium and erbium and phosphorus and francium and fluorine and terbium and manganese and mercanium, molybdenum and magnesium, dysprosium and scandium and cerium and cesium and lead, praseodymium and platinum, plutonium, palladium, promethium, potassium, polonium and tantalum, technetium, titanium, tellurium and cadmium and calcium and chromium and curium. There's sulfur, californium, and fermium, berkelium, and also mendelevium, einsteinium, nobelium, and argon, kryptonium, radon, xenon, zinc, and rhodium, and chlorine, carbon, cobalt, copper, tungsten, tin, and sodium. These are the only ones of which the news has come to Harvard, and there may be many others, but they haven't been discovered. Uh, 